This is Growth Decoded to Go, a podcast from a show that helps you grow your business by figuring out the customer experience, one piece at a time. We do this to share our findings with you, wherever you are. Because this podcast is only the audio portion of the show, there might be some references to visuals. But don't fret, because we've included links to the video version of the show in the podcast description. All right, let's get into it. Ahoy there, Internet, and welcome back to Growth Decoded, a show that helps you grow your business by providing your customers with the best possible experience. I'm your host, Ernie Santarelli, joined as always by my trusty sidekick and leafy co-host, Plantasia. Burnout. You've heard about it. Maybe you felt it. It doesn't matter if you're a small business or a solopreneur or an employee at a bigger company. If you're working hard, if you're wearing a bunch of hats, trying to get it all done, to meet those deadlines, hit the goals, solve problems, it can definitely happen. But what can be done about it? Well, if you ask today's guest, the best way to combat burnout is with systems. Creating systems that help you work more efficiently. To minimize the stuff that you don't like to do, to do more of the stuff that you do like to do, and to do it better, faster, and with less stress. To automate, to delegate, or to eliminate. He's Justin Welsh, and he's a master of creating systems. Now, a system is defined as a set of principles or procedures according to which something is done, an organized framework or method. Again, today's guest is all about organized frameworks and methods that help you solve problems. From identifying your core message and creating content to building and scaling your audience and business, Justin Welsh has successfully implemented a a whole host of systems that have helped him achieve some impressive results. He specializes in the knowledge economy and is an expert in being a solopreneur. With more and more folks starting their own businesses or monetizing their knowledge for themselves or for a company, it can be hard to get started, to stand out. How do you do it? And once you do get started, how do you actually build an audience? When should you start building the audience? How do you create content that matters, that resonates, that gets people to stop the scroll? And not only that, but how can you set your business up in a way that makes it possible to do this all consistently? creating higher quality content in less time, creating high quality things that people actually want and doing so repeatedly, consistently with better and better results. That would be, well, that would be amazing. Well, get this, Justin's done it and I wanted to find out how. Okay, and I am now joined by entrepreneur, angel investor, mentor, coach, creator. His newsletter, The Saturday Solopreneur, gives one actionable tip on audience and revenue growth for your online business. Boasts over 14,000 subscribers. He's an expert in the world of solopreneurs, audience building and engagement. The one, the only, Justin Welsh. Thank you so much for uh, being here. Welcome to Growth Decoded. Ernie, I'm so glad to be here, man. That was uh, one of the best introductions I've ever had. So I appreciate it. All right. Well, if everything else goes south, at least I've got that going for me. Uh, perfect. Awesome. Yeah. So Justin, I'd love to uh, to focus this this chat here on the the knowledge economy, quote unquote, how you can monetize what you know, whether that's in the form of you know online products, courses, things like that. So you yourself are a creator of, of several several successful courses and digital products, knowledge based businesses. So can you talk through the beginning of the journey for you? Like how did you start and how did you decide where to start? Yeah, it was it was sort of an accidental start, to be honest. Um, I wish I could say like 
having the businesses that I have today was really well planned out. It wasn't. Um, my background is I spent about 10 years in tech and I worked my way up from an individual contributorship role to eventually being a chief revenue officer at a pretty um, sizable startup in LA, grew it from its first dollar in revenue to about 50 million in recurring in four and a half years. And the catalyst for, I guess what I might call entering the knowledge economy was burnout. Uh, in, in really late 2018, around Christmas time, I started to burn out pretty hard at my job. And that's, that's kind of what happens when like you're in hyper growth tech for 10 straight years, especially as you get into the executive sort of room, you know, pressures on lots of work, tons of board meetings. And, uh, I just kind of reached a crescendo where I, I burned hard and that all came to a head with a really big panic attack around Christmas time in 2018, like the kind of panic attack that like you call the, you call 911 for, and, and it was uh, not a fun experience. So um, where this, where this sort of leads to in, in me entering the knowledge economy is I just knew that something had to change. And so I told my co-CEOs I'd be stepping down. I ended up staying on for about eight more months, but during that eight month period, I recognized that if I was going to be unemployed, uh, I'd have to make some money. And so yeah. what I did was I went out and I started just creating a bunch of noise online. I just started writing on it. And my platform of choice was LinkedIn. And um, I just wanted some attention. Like, I know it's like a weird thing to say, calling attention, but that's what it is. It's adults on social media trying to get attention for what they, what they put out there. I had a hypothesis that like, if I could do that, it would be beneficial to whatever business I would would ultimately build, mm. and so I entered, you know, uh, you know, the sort of one man business as a consultant, like a lot of folks do. And over the course of the next few years, as I created more and more online, what happened was people stopped asking about SaaS and tech and building sales teams, and they started asking me about what I was doing online. Like, mm. how are you? How are you writing? How are you growing? You know, what's your process? What are your systems? And I was kind of taken aback by, by the direction that things went, but that was the start. And so I started to pivot away from SaaS and tech and sales and just really start talking about how was I actually building this business? And once I made that pivot, that became really interesting to a lot of people. And so traction just spiked and I've sort of never looked back since. Yeah, um, that's awesome. And it seems like your, uh, your hypothesis there kind of panned out to be in favor of, you know, what you initially thought was going to be the case. Um, so I guess when, when like you're starting off in this arena, or if someone else is following, they're, they're looking to, to build their own sort of solopreneur business, um, or maybe they've been at it for a little bit and they're just looking to grow, um, to scale. So what, what are the necessary like precursors to actually get some of that traction um, and, and transform that, you know, not from just making noise, but making noise that actually inspires and leads to action? Right. I, I think... I think first you have to make noise because I think you just make a lot of it and you sort of look for what resonates, right? You look for the signal inside of that noise. So one piece of advice I might have is to create that, to start getting some sort of traction or some signals that you're moving in the right direction or what resonates and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. But there was something that a guy named Sean Purry said online a while back. I, I don't recall how long ago it was, where he said, you really have to have this thing called red pill content. And red pill content comes from the matrix and I'm not a big movie fan, so I'll probably screw it up. But basically it's like, do you want to keep doing things the normal way? Or do you want to go down a completely different rabbit hole? And what red pill content is, is doing things not the normal way. And what I mean by that is you have to have a really unique solution to a non-unique problem. Mm. We all have problems. 
your solution has to be different. It has to be, it has to come from a different angle. It has to be contrarian to what maybe the market or other folks or experts in your segment have said in the past, or else you run the risk of just blending in. And so what I always recommend to folks is not that they just go out and look for some crazy contrarian thought process that's, that's inauthentic and doesn't come across well. It's to really look inside, like, what is an opinion you have on your industry, on a challenge, on a problem that is unique to you that you don't hear a lot of people saying? And if you can go out and you can convince people that your way is the right way to solving their challenge and is in fact contrarian, that will resonate a lot. The more you kind of kick up dust, the more you challenge the status quo, the more you say things differently, the more you stand out. Mm. And again, it can't be faked. It's looking inside and it's trying to figure out what, what is the opinion that you have that might resonate that way? And you may find that, um, you know, as you create more and more noise that that, that really resonates with your audience. Mm. And, and as you create more and more noise, does that also help you like lead to refine that message and refine that contrarian maybe point of view or that take that sort of sets you apart from everyone else? Totally. You, you can say the same thing a thousand different ways. I, I've learned over the course of time how to say one thing a thousand ways. And that's what, what keeps content fresh and unique and interesting. But of those a thousand ways, there are probably 990 that didn't resonate as well as 10. Right. And so I think over the course of time, as you sort of pay attention to what is resonating in the format and the style and the structure and how you deliver that message, you get to hone in on things where, you know, instead of hitting singles every day, you start to hit doubles. Mm. And then one day you step up to the plate trying to hit a double and like, you hit a home run by accident, right? So sorry for the ridiculous sports cliches, but like, that's how I think about it. No, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and, and as you, you know, it's just the, the return is, is bigger and you get better at, at it over time. Um, and one thing that you've mentioned here a couple of times is systems. Um, and I know that you're a, a big proponent of systems. Um, myself as a full-time creator at active campaign, uh, systems have been very crucial to creating work that I'm proud of. Um, and especially, you know, and more importantly, like keeping yourself on track, not burning out, always having the next thing that you're going to be doing and understanding why you're doing it. Um, so what is that process to like coming up with systems or your journey to, you know, being a big proponent of systems? What does that look like? Yeah, I think it's, I think the journey starts from not having any employees and just being a one person show. So like, I can't afford not to have systems. If, if I didn't have any, I'd be working 24 hours a day. Mm. Um, I, I think it's interesting. People ask me like, how do I come up with systems? And as a systems guy, you would assume I had a really sophisticated system. I, I don't, to be honest. Like this is sort of what I do at the end of every week on usually on like a Sunday. I look at sort of three buckets. Like what do I love doing? What like gives me energy? What, what, what do I want to keep doing? Um, what don't I like doing, but is required for my business? And then what don't I like doing that isn't really required for my business to be successful? Mm. And then I, then I reverse the order and I start with, you know, what don't I like that isn't required? And I just eliminate it, stop doing it. Like people stink at elimination and, and not in like stopping doing something because they feel like it brings some sort of traction, even though, you know, 20% is really what drives 80%. So I start there and I, I start to eliminate. The next thing I look at is like, okay, what don't I like doing that does drive my business and does have meaning to my customers and you know things like that. And then I look at it from two angles. You have two choices, automation or delegation. Generally, I like automation and I like automation because I believe 
the more human, you know, people are involved in your processes, the more likely they are to fail. Whereas automation may fail every once in a while, but I think much more or much less frequently than when you have people involved. Mm. If I can't figure out how to automate something, um, I'll delegate it. So I'll outsource it, right? Like I don't have any employees, so I'll go on to Fiverr, I'll go on to Upwork um, and hire someone to complete the task, right? Uh, that, that for me is a pretty simple thing. What's left is what do I like doing? Right. And you might think, okay, cool. So you just do that stuff. Well, I, I do do that stuff, but I try and systematize that thing. So for example, I like to write. I really enjoy writing. It doesn't mean that it comes easy every day. Like there are some days when I sit down and as much as I like to write, I don't have anything to say. I don't feel creative. I'm in a rut. I'm not in the zone, whatever you want to say. That's where systems really, really come into play. And so for me as a creative, you know, I may just sit down and use zero systems, but if I wake up one morning, it's time to do my job. I'm not feeling creative. I have a system for producing content, building products, writing my newsletter, uh, you know, actioning my community when I don't really feel like doing any of it. That's where systems are really lifesavers for your business, if that makes sense. Mm, yeah, definitely. Uh, you just reminded me of that saying, that's like what painters love to paint and writers love having written. They don't actually love the actual <laughs> act of writing. Um, yeah. As a writer myself, I definitely know what you mean by that. Um, that's funny. <laughs> but um, one thing that I think is really helpful in, in what you just kind of outlined there for creating systems or systematizing the things that you do like to do um, is the asking yourself those questions and actually writing the stuff down. Because I feel like a lot of people, maybe they feel silly doing that, or maybe they feel like an aversion to actually sitting down and writing those things. And, you know, for that reason, it never leaves their head. And because they haven't really put, you know, form to the thoughts, those things can't crystallize into actual action or an actual plan. Um, so I thank you for, for laying that out. Cause you know, a lot of advice for, for creators, for solopreneurs is sort of like high level and unhelpful, like ask those questions, but not actually let's get down and write these things and then take those answers and do the next thing. Um, so is that how you would give advice to people to start thinking in systems? Like how do they, how do they frame their thinking to approach problems in like a systematic way? Yeah. I think like the bucket system that I just described is one really good way. I think another good way is to just be cognizant of things they do more than once a week mm. that are man that are manual and don't have to be. So I'll give you an example. Like when I, I sell some, some digital courses and sometimes, um, you know, people will struggle to remember their password. Right. So like I'll create a simple form that you can fill out if you don't remember your password and it'll create automation on the back end using things and tools like Zapier to automatically send them a password reset. Like pretty simple, pretty simple stuff. Uh, another one for me is just like, what Twitter threads do I write? Right. Sometimes I'll, I'll wake up and on Monday I, I'm supposed to write a Twitter thread and uh, I don't want to do it. So I'll think, okay, how do I do this really easily? Even though I don't want to, I have a system for, uncovering old content that I know is Twitter thread ready that I can easily put into a very simple structure and produce something of value. So I think what it is, is it's looking for a few things. It's going through that bucket system. It's figuring out, okay, how do I systematize something that I do often, but sometimes don't feel like doing? And then how many times am I doing the same thing over and over and over again without automation or delegation? If you're just cognizant of those things, you won't be perfect, but you will slowly chip away at the manual 
problems that happen in your business over the course of time. Mm. And the, the more that you reduce those problems one at a time, the less your context switching, right? So when someone needs me to email them something, yeah, it might just take five minutes, but I have to find it, think about the answer, send it, get back on track with whatever I'm doing. It might take 45 minutes for me to get back on track. The more you figure these things out, the more 45 minute increments you get back of your time. And by the time you're done chipping away, you found an extra three hours, an extra five hours, an extra eight hours a week, where you can actually spend more time looking for opportunities to systematize your business. So that's sort of how I think of it from a high level. Yeah, that's awesome. It just kind of like feeds itself by providing you more and that's more right. time to do so. Um, that's great. And I love that that piece about um, the repurposing your content. I actually think I, I saw a post from you. I can't remember if it was Twitter or LinkedIn. It was about... Um, and I'm probably going to, to butcher this a little bit, but it was about, you know, 90% of your audience hasn't seen 100% of your content, or they haven't seen all of the things that you're creating. And because you're creating it, maybe you're a little too close to it. So you feel like you can't repurpose it, or you can't post it again. Um, but I think that there's there's tremendous opportunity and kind of resurfacing some of those old ideas. And, you know, to the point that we were talking about earlier, like you can refine that message and maybe even make it you can say it in, a, in another one of those thousand different ways to say it that might resonate or, or hit someone a little bit differently. Um, I, totally. I love that. Totally. Speaking of your social media accounts, um, in a recent Twitter thread that you had, uh, it was about must-have systems for creators. And you stated that none of the systems matter if you can't get discovered. Um, so is that getting discovered? And we talked about making noise online and everything earlier, but is that is that the barrier to entry? And if it is, like, how do you get over that? It is. I think so. I think like, let, let, let me phrase it this way. Can you create noise in other ways and get attention in other ways? You can. You can either do it yourself or you can pay someone to do it. Mm. And if you pay someone to do it, they're either going to have to do it in one of a few different ways, organically or through paid media. And paid media costs money. Ads cost money. So you'd better be able to deliver a return on ad spend pretty quickly. Most people cannot that don't have a thriving business. Um, so you're sort of left with doing it organically. And if you want to pay to someone to do it organically, they're just going to be creating noise underneath your name. So to me, it's just better to do it yourself. It's easier. It's faster. You get to your core message quickly. You, you, um, you, you know, hang out with your audience, you chat with your audience, you learn from them more, more quickly. And so I always see people trying to circumvent that problem where they're like, oh, I won't create attention, but I'll start to try and build trust. And I'll start to try and deepen relationships and sell products and build a community. And it's like, at first you just got to get a lot of attention. Like it's so much easier to do the rest of the funnel. If you can, if you can do that, I think kind of going back to that red pill content that I talked a little bit about earlier that I learned from Sean Purry, like that is the easiest way to do it is to have a really strong opinion that you repeat over and over again. Taking what we talked about earlier, saying one thing a thousand different ways, take that red pill content and learn how to say it a thousand ways, right? Learn how to say it through a thousand mediums. It's sort of options become unlimited. You have different ways to say it. You have different mediums, whether that medium is text, image, video, audio. You have different platforms, whether it's Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. So you have just an incredible matrix of places and mediums and messages that you can mix and match. I think if you do that and people really understand what to come to expect from your content, that's when it starts to really compound. Mm. Every day on Twitter, people expect me to write something about solopreneurship. And the more I talk about it, the more I share my strong opinions on it, 
the more it resonates with people, the more they come back for the next content. And so it's all really about getting that top of funnel, getting discovered, creating that noise. The rest is so much easier once you've done that. Get out there and make some noise. But don't just make noise for the sake of making noise. Listen back. Where are the signals? What posts are resonating? What's the message of those? What's the style, the format, the tone? Remember, the more you challenge the status quo, the more you stand out. Your honesty can't be faked. So what is an opinion that you have that might resonate? The opinion that challenges the current landscape that might cause someone to stop, stop the scroll, look off in the distance and go, huh, I never thought about it like that. Refine your noise. Soon it won't just be noise, but it'll be a steady rhythmic cadence of your message and your audience will come to expect it, to look for it and to share it. Create a system for getting your message and your content out. Remember those questions that Justin asks himself. One, what do I not like doing that doesn't bring value? We'll just stop doing that. What do I not like doing that does bring value or is necessary to the success of the business? Automate those things or delegate them. And finally, what do I like doing? Do it, but then systematize it. Justin said you should learn to say your message a thousand different ways. And then you'll always have a way to get it across, no matter what the medium is, the format, the type of com content, you name it. The more that you refine your noise, the more it becomes music. And the more you play your music, the more people will listen. And once you have an audience, everything gets easier. How much easier? What does it allow you to do? And how can you build automation into your strategy to provide better customer experiences once you do have an audience? Let's go back to Justin. So if we think about like your kind of transition, you know, out of the tech space and more into your, your businesses, you said that, you know, you were trying to make a lot of noise. That was the first step. Um, did you have an audience at that point? Is there, was there sort of like a, I had built kind of a following before I needed it, or is like how, how important or how beneficial is building the audience before you need it? Super beneficial. Um, if I would have, so I left my job on August 1st of 2019, I, submitted that I would be leaving on January 1st of 2019. So I had eight months. Mm -hmm. um, if I had done nothing in those eight months uh, and I would have gone out and said, hey, everyone, I'm consultant and advisor to SaaS companies on August 1st, no one would have known who I was or why they should be interested in hiring me. Uh, for those eight months, my hypothesis was that I would talk about what it was like to build an early stage SMB SaaS company in the healthcare technology vertical, like an assembly line, like a machine. And so for eight months between January and August, I talked about those things. I shared contrarian viewpoints. I talked about how I disagreed with some of how the industry was building their teams. I went out there and just created a lot of noise about early stage SMB SaaS sales, mm. mostly, in, mostly in the healthcare vertical, because that's where I came from. And after doing that every day for eight months, I generated about 19 or 20,000 followers on LinkedIn back then. And when, and that was like having a, like 75,000 followers today, it was when LinkedIn was very, very kind of early to the creator space. And when I launched my uh, consulting firm on August 1st of 2019, the day I stepped down, I had a lot of prospects in my funnel. I had a lot of founders who, when I announced said, I've been following you for eight months. Like I'm super interested in whether you're available, how much you cost, how your business works. And so I had like 30 or 40 inquiries the very first day that I launched. That was from building that audience. If I had started August 1st, I mean, I'd probably be working for somebody else right now. So, and that's, I mean, that's amazing. Um, 
that you, you know, when you started, you had that, that pipeline kind of built up already just simply because you had been making the noise continually, consistently and building up that trust and that, um, the expectation that that was the content and that was the stuff that you knew in, in today's landscape, you know, whether it's like, I don't know, the, the attention economy, if that makes sense, or in this knowledge-based economy, is that like, is that necessary to have, I mean, can you, can you just start from day one or is it just like you're, you're setting yourself back so much further if you, you know, just I mean, decide I, to launch? I think you can just launch if you want. Um, I don't think you'll get quite the traction that you would normally get had you spent some time experimenting. And also it's always like, how do you really know what to do or build for whom? Um, right. Part of, part of what was really helpful in my journey is I didn't release a product until almost like a, like an info product or online course until almost two years of being self-employed. And a lot of folks like I quit my job and I'm releasing a product. Meanwhile, I don't know what my audience wants. I don't know what their problems are. I don't know what my solution is. And then it's like really hard to go find customers. Why not spend time creating that noise, looking for that signal, honing in on your red pill content, figuring out the challenges that your audience truly has by speaking with them, interviewing them on Zoom, answering their questions, and then starting to systematize your own solution. So yeah, I might be able to talk about how to grow on LinkedIn or how to grow on Twitter or how to write better content, but it's, it's much easier if I'm like, here are 10 steps you can follow in this distinct order to get the, you know, the same or similar outcomes to what I see. And I learned all of that through audience interaction. Mm. And I, I highly recommend if you're going to step out and you know, offer a product or a service, you know, spend a year just, just talking to your audience, just learning about what they want. I think it's just hugely beneficial. Yeah, I can't agree more. Um, actually, one of the the show um, and an active campaign in general, we focus a lot on the importance of the customer experience. And you know, throughout all these conversations and episodes that we've done on this show, two trends have kind of emerged. One is know your customer, and the other is manage your customer's expectations, which you can only do if you know what they are and if you know your customer. So I think you know you you kind of just spoke to this, but like when it comes to digital products or knowledge-based products, like how important is the customer experience to that whole realm? Yeah, it's super important. And um, you know, I just went through this a little bit. I just recently released a new product called the Content Operating System, which is just like my systems for producing ten to twenty pieces of content a day, even when I don't feel like it. And I broke one of my own rules, which is like, I listen to my audience, I hear things, but like, I didn't set the right expectation. Uh, I, I do now, and it was just for like 48 hours, but I realized that some people have systems for producing content. And if you do, and you produce 10 to 15 pieces of fresh, unique content every single day, you probably don't need to buy this. And so um, I wasn't clear about that on the landing page. And so I went back after I heard a just, just two out of 600 people had this like one specific feedback. And I was like, oh, that's like really important. I'm sure if these two experienced it, then two more and then five more and then 10 people, you know, will eventually experience it. So I went and I fixed all the language by going on, you know, making a robust FAQ, bringing the two most important questions up on the landing page. Who is this course for? Who should not buy this course? Mm. And then it's like, haven't heard a word since. And so you know, almost kind of broke my own, my own rule and then took some feedback from my audience, went, fixed it. And it's been a seamless process since. Mm. 
that's awesome. I, I love that. Well, not the, the negative part, but the fact that you identified it so quickly and then yeah. kind of alleviated that. That's awesome. And you mentioned um, automation a few times, right? Where can you automate? Where can you delegate? You like relying on automation because it <laughs> humans make mistakes. There's a lot of human error that happens. Um, and you know, I completely agree with that. But in the knowledge and creator economy, um, where you can use automation and kind of rely on that, how important is that you know, apart from the eliminating human error aspect uh, in, in delivering like a positive customer experience? I think it's really important in a couple of different ways. I think number one, um, I get people to keep going through products. So I use a lot of automation to inspire folks. So once you reach 33% or 50% or 75% of completion on one of my courses, you're getting notes from me encouraging you to continue going, which I mm. think is, is really super helpful. I think automation is really great in a few other ways. I think it's great to provide um, very easy access to products or services that you list inside of your course. So I recommend technology. Normally people would be emailing me, how do I get it? Where do I find it? What's the discount code? How do I use it? I automate a lot of the discount coding, the hyperlinks, the, the rules, the, the, the instructions on how to use it so that it's all really simple and they don't have to keep emailing me back and forth trying to get answers. I automate testimonials. So when people are really excited, they don't have to write to me and say, hey man, I'd love to say something really great about this course, but I don't know how to do it. All of that is done through automation, through asking, through using software like testimonial.to. So I try and make sure that as they go through the course, they're getting inspired, they're getting educated, they're finding what they need, they can interact with the product the way they want to, and they never have to really reach out to me to do anything manually. And I think that provides a really seamless experience for customers. And the more seamless that is, the more likely they are to complete the course. The, the more they complete the course, the more likely they are to get better at what I'm trying to teach them. So all in all, it drives people towards the intended outcome. Yeah, um, absolutely. That makes all of the sense in the world. So when you were coming up with, you know, where to insert those automated messages or, you know, here's the technology or here's the next step that you should take. Was that a similar thing to the, the content offering that you just had where you had to update the landing page, you got some feedback and then, you know, you, you got enough emails about something and you were like, I should probably automate this. Or like, how do you, how do you come up with that? Where do you figure it out? Great question. It's, it's normally just like a few guesses in the beginning. Mm -hmm. So for example, um, I, in one of my new courses, I recommend a piece of software. And I figured to myself, okay, like, what's the likelihood that someone goes and finds it on their own, downloads it on their own, or signs up on their own, goes through the free trial on their own, figures out how to use it on their own? Like, maybe likely, but with each new thing they have to do, percentage goes down. And so I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I have a hypothesis that as they learn about this in my course, I will send them information that educates them about how to best use it that turned out to be a good guess. And so therefore the automation inside of my course stays. Outside of that, I've had plenty of people reach out and say like, hey, just went through this section on your course, don't understand A, don't understand B, don't understand C. And sometimes it's just human error or it's just maybe someone who's a real new person to social media and it's, it's actually quite obvious. And, and I, don't, I don't mean that in a mean way, but like it's something that a lot of folks won't experience. But sometimes I get 10 questions in a row that are all the same from people who have been using Twitter and LinkedIn and writing content for a long time. That, that means that something's wildly unclear. And if something's unclear, I want to use automation to clear that up. 
Because in order to continue to produce products, manage my community, run my service business, advise early stage companies, make investments, I can't be doing a lot of manual work. And so any time that I see I can use technology to automate something that helps my customers have a better experience, I'm 100% for that. Mm, awesome. That's, I mean, that's it just great things to, to be on the lookout for, because one of the things that we hear a lot is sort of, you know, we know that we can use automation to solve a lot of our problems, but how do we identify which problems to solve with automation? So providing a framework or just how you do it, um, that's, that's tremendously beneficial. So if you're thinking about, you know, content creators, knowledge economy, solopreneurs, where do you see like the big misses, the common pitfalls that people fall into? One is they don't, there's, there's two. The first one is they don't niche down. Mm. And so like, I'll, I'll give you an example. I do this maybe once a month just to see and to show people what I mean by that. I'll go on to LinkedIn or Twitter and say, self-promotion time, drop it below. What are your, what are your three lines? Who do you help? What do you help them do? How do you help them do it? I help businesses grow. I help people get healthy. I help businesses be better. Businesses like what? Like Microsoft, IBM, the plumber down the street, you know, the craft brewery around the corner, the e-commerce brand online. Those are all really different businesses, right? Mm. I, help, I help people. What kind of people? People in their 80s, people in their 20s, people who have a specific problem. All people are different. And I think that people have this inclination or this, I guess, thought that if they whittle down to serving only a distinct group, that they have somehow left money on the table but in fact, you're just an average helper if you're trying to help everyone. If you know how to help a very specific type of person or business do a very specific thing, you will almost always win that business and you will be able to charge a lot for it. So first of all, I think people miss on really understanding how to niche down or stand out in a small pool, can always expand over time. I think the second thing they do is they don't have an interesting opinion. And... I'll go on LinkedIn or Twitter and I'll read like, you know, sales is hard. Uh, we should train our salespeople better. No kidding. Everyone thinks that. So like, if you say that out loud online, no, no, it's not going to resonate with really anyone. You haven't taught anyone anything new or interesting inside of that, that piece of content. And so they'll never really gain traction. There are four ways that you can gain traction, sort of using a red pill content strategy. And they tie to human emotions. You either have to do one of these four things, really educate somebody, really entertain somebody, really challenge the way that someone thinks, or really show your customer that you empathize with them. You can do one of those four things and your content comes from a rather contrarian perspective. You mix those two things together, you've got a winning recipe. And I see a lot of folks with really vanilla, soft opinions. I love that. I'm going to write those down and take those into account uh, anytime that I write something on social media from now on, because that makes, I mean, it makes all the sense in the world. Um, all right. Fi final question here, Justin. Um, I've really enjoyed this conversation. So again, thank you for the time, but what's something, what's one tip, maybe one something or something that you've kind of learned recently that you're pretty excited about something that you'd like to give to your audience? Yeah, it's a really great, really great question. I've, I've probably learned two things. I don't know if, I'll, if I can give anything attached to, to what I've learned, but I'll, I'll try my best. One is like the importance of being autodidactic, which just means that you can learn on your own, that you can mm. teach yourself. And 
the reason that I think that's important is I see so many people on social media who use social media like a networking event, but in the worst way possible. They come in, they open the door. There's a million people waiting to hear their message and they yell, help me. And you're never going to learn if you just continuously ask everyone how to do everything. And so being autodidactic simply means you learn how to teach yourself. And help is when you've exhausted either most, most chances to, to teach yourself or when something is complex and sophisticated that you need an expert. If you can learn to teach yourself, you're never a liability and you're always growing and learning. So like, if you're that person who's out there DMing everyone, please help me, please help me. How do I do this? How do I do this? Spend some time on YouTube, spend some time on Google, spend some time reading blog posts. Most importantly, go do something, take action. Nothing teaches you how to actually get started in solopreneurship or entrepreneurship, like doing something. Mm. And that is the easiest way to actually learn that that's, that's maybe one thing that I've, I've learned and I'm very excited about and feel very passionate about. The second thing is build systems. And the, the reason that I harp on that over and over again is because I can tell you from personal experience, if you're a solopreneur, if you're working for yourself, if you have a following on social media, at some point you're going to burn out. You cannot manually build your business through content, through coaching, through products, through community, uh, without really rigid, repeatable, automated systems. And so, you know, if, if people want to learn those systems, I have a lot of free resources. Go to my website, justinwelsh.me. I create free guides of almost every piece of information that I have. And if you want to do a really deep dive into systems, you know, that's what I have products for. Awesome. Um, absolutely. And I think that that message is incredibly important and relevant, especially in this day and age that we find ourselves in, you know, two years into this shift from, you know, what work once was to now what it is. And I think a lot of people are asking themselves a lot of questions or just kind of feeling the impact of that, that burnout that you're talking so, uh, so much about. So, um, I can't think of a better way to wrap this thing up than that right there. Justin, thank you so much for your time. Uh, really appreciate it. Really, really loved, uh, talking to you about this stuff and, uh, thank you for being on the show. Ernie, it's been a pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. Now, building systems will help your business in a number of ways. First, build a system for identifying the systems that you'll build. Uh, what does that mean? Well, remember these questions. What do you not like doing that doesn't bring value? What do you not like doing that does bring value? And what do you like doing? Second, automate or delegate those things that you don't like doing, but are necessary. As Justin said, some of them will free up 15 minutes, some will free up 45 minutes. And the more you do it, eventually you find yourself with an extra five, six, eight, ten hours a week. Diligence and discipline are the keys. Next, systems help you combat burnout. If you do it right and you do it well, you'll be focused much more on the things that actually bring you joy, the things that you actually care about. Next, make some noise until it turns into music. Now, Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters and from Nirvana once said, and I'm paraphrasing here because he uses a bit more colorful language than Plantasia here cares to hear. Musicians should go to a yard sale and buy an old drum set and get in their garage and just suck and get their friends to come in and then they'll suck too. And then they'll start playing and they'll have the best time that they've ever had. And then all of a sudden they'll become Nirvana. Now it's a little more complicated than that, but that's how it starts. Get online somewhere, make some noise, but then listen back to the signals and work to improve and refine that message. 
Once you do, once you refine that noise into music, you'll have the basis for that somewhat controversial but highly resonant content. You'll have an opinion in a specific niche about a specific thing. And all good content that gets traction does four things. It really educates the audience, it really entertains the audience, it really challenges the audience, or it really empathizes with the audience. Now we've got some tools and templates that we've put together to help you get to this message. And they're linked in the description and in the resources. All right, that is our show. Stay tuned for more episodes and conversations like this one. And if you're enjoying the show, it would mean a lot if you could share it. Tell someone about it, subscribe to it, leave a review, you know, all that good stuff. In the meantime, go forth and make some noise. And also automate the things that you don't necessarily like to do or have time to do, but bring a lot of value to the business. You know, that just doesn't have the same ring to it, does it, Plantasia? No? No, I'm with you. The old way? Okay, I'll, I'll do the old way. Go forth and automate. Thanks for listening to Growth Decoded to Go. For the latest updates on Growth Decoded and links to the live show, you can sign up to be a part of the Grow team at activecampaign.com slash events slash growth hyphen decoded.